everybody. Welcome to the YamCast. My name is Erica. And I am Chris. Yam actually stands for Young Adult Ministry. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about college and young adult ministry and how to effectively do that. Yeah. And the music in our episode is from our lovely friend Brian Nielsen and James DeWall. He just makes us sound so good. So, Christopher, how is the quarantine going for you? I don't know what day it is. True. I only know that it's April because Easter's coming. If Easter was in March this year, I don't think I would know. It would just all blend together. Yeah. I'm nervous about after Sunday's done because we're recording this just before Easter and it'll come out right after Easter. But I'm nervous that if once Sunday's done, I will have nothing else to worry about because we've moved all of our services online so we've got all those kinks worked out uh it, it'll be mid-may and i have no idea that that it's mid-may <laughs> my wife has a birthday in the middle of that i have a birthday in the middle of that my my grandfather has an 80th birthday in the middle of that and i will have no idea that any of that happened so i'm a little nervous about that how are you doing 20 <laughs> what is it day 25 26 of the Something quarantine like that. i mean i i i feel like i'm living my best life <laughs> She's a true five. <laughs> that sounds bad, but like isn't that a five? Yeah, yeah, See, that would look be. At that. Yeah, look at well, your wife is one, so yeah, that yeah, does help. I'm fully aware. I mean, I feel like before this, I was literally wanting to say no to everything. I couldn't say no to everything, but I wanted to, and so quarantine has really given me excuse to say no to. Well, I mean, not say no. There's nothing going on, so I don't yeah. necessarily even have to say no. You don't even get asked to do stuff now. I know. So, I mean, one thing that I struggle with is just I don't want it just to be about me the whole time because that can happen. Just sitting in my house, right. doing my stuff, getting things done. So trying to still be mindful of the world. So, but like so many people are like, oh, my gosh, this is so hard. I'm like, I love this. <laughs> if we could have a month off every year, like nothing. I would, I think I would really enjoy that. Yeah, my wife is amazing. She definitely fits that mold of living her best life right now. Mm-hmm. She loves having us all home. But I I will admit I'm I think she's starting to desire seeing other people. So we She's <laughs> <laughs> So she'll probably like roll her eyes when she hears this part of the podcast and she'll come talk to me about it eventually cuz that's usually how this goes with the podcast. But uh yeah, there's a good chance. I think she's starting to realize that maybe other people aren't like the worst thing in the world, you know? And I'm not saying that she hates people. She just naturally wants well, to stay away from people. And it's, yeah, it's, it's one thing when it's forced upon you. Like right. right now, not doing things is what everybody's doing. So nobody's judging you for saying no. Nobody's judging you for staying home. But I feel like when it's over, that becomes... Yeah, it becomes like, oh, we're judging you because you're not helping enough or right. whatever it might be. And granted, we need to not worry so much about what other people think. But it also is nice to be like, no, I don't have to and because nobody's doing that. And I don't have to feel – because I feel guilty. That's, that's what part of it comes out to when I'm not sticking to my commitments, when I'm not – whatever it might be. So right. I don't really have – I mean, I still have a couple of commitments. But teaching in the mornings and right. still doing online youth group and – 
trying to do those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, it's nice. But what's hard is, yeah, there are still things that people are wanting to move online. And I don't necessarily enjoy that type of interaction with people. So that can be difficult, which we'll talk about a little more Yeah. in our EM spot. Yeah, totally. I will also say, just for the sake of the podcast and for those of you who are concerned, we are aware that we're not essential. We <laughs> we are not breaking rules. not ru- essential? We're not breaking rules by doing this. We are... We are more than six feet apart, all three of us. We're the only people in a very large church building. We've we've taken out any possibility. We've also all been quarantined for multiple days now with very little contact with the outside world. So I don't think any of us have it. And we're not running around to other places while we came to this. It no. was get in the car, drive here, Correct. and then... I mean, and I, I might grab a pizza on the way home, but then... <laughs> I'm a huge germaphobe. I mean, I don't think people know that about me. I don't. I do yeah. not know that. No, I I wash my hands incessantly all year long. I've I've never had the flu. I only get a cold if one of my kids brings one home and like coughs in my face kind of thing. You know, the only time I've ever gotten sick is typically when someone in my very close vicinity gets sick. And then I usually get strep a couple of days after my kids do or something because one of them sleeps on my pillow or something. But I, so I'm. I'm not taking any chances. I'm not afraid of this thing. Like, you know, if I got sick, bring it on. But I'm definitely not taking any chances, and I, I'm obeying all the rules. And so we are also obeying the rules. Mm-hmm. We're going to record multiple episodes in a, in a time frame, done. and then we're going to wait a couple of weeks and then film a bunch more, or record a bunch more episodes, and then kind of that's going to be our system over the next few weeks so that we're, we're not – for all of you who might freak out, you know, send me a Facebook message like, you're putting everyone at risk. No, we're not. We're, we're being yes. very wise with this. We talked about recording it from two different places, but the logistics of that. I don't know how to do that. And we were, we were so dumb. <laughs> All we have. James is yeah, smart. James is very smart. I might not know how to we're do that. We're dumb. James gave us some ideas of how we could do it from away from each other, but we don't know how that, any of I that works. I still don't know how to do that. I'm not sure how a cell phone <laughs> works sometimes. And so, uh, yeah. All right. So all that to say, ready? I am ready. Episode 13 of our main episodes of just the book of judges. Mm-hmm. We're almost done. Yeah, we're. This is kind of yeah, kind of crazy. We've got three more episodes of Judges, and then we're going to move into Ruth, and then maybe it'll get a little lighter eventually. Yeah, and then if the Lord allows, we'll move into First Samuel and start mm-hmm. having some fun times with Saul and then David. But so the basic storyline of episode thirteen is going to deal with Judges seventeen, and the the main character of this is Mechaiho. You want to? You like that? Mechaiho. <laughs> really get the deep guttural Mechai. Mm-hmm. Yep, you got to clear that throat. Mm-hmm. Mechaihu uh, or Mechaiho. Uh, <laughs> that just reminds me of the song that they sing at the end of um, Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> I don't know how it goes. What is it? Most Eastern languages all sound the same. Okay, yeah, that in that sense. It. Like we've we've sort of I taken out all of the deep guttural parts. Like we don't roll our R's. We don't, you know, we don't swallow any letters. We don't do a deep <laughs> sound. Oh, that's. All of you, you're welcome. You're welcome. That's Hebrew. <laughs> that's Hebrew for you. So Mechaiho is a bad guy. I'm going to call him Micah for the rest of the episode because that's the shortened version of the name, and that's the you know the English. That's what we know. That's the English word. Uh, but Micah's a bad dude, and this story is super unique because it starts in the middle of the problem. Let me let me just read the you know there was a man in the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. We have a character. Verse 2, and he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it to my ears, behold, the silver is with me. 
I'm the one that took it. It's like, <laughs> listen, I know that you're upset and you cursed someone, but the problem is the curse is me. So here's your, here's your money back. And his mom's like, oh, bless you, son. So glad you brought the money back. Now it's yours. And I'm going to make an idol for you because that's what you do when you want to honor the Lord is you make an idol. And if you're like, that doesn't seem right, Chris, you're, I'm being sarcastic. Go read the Ten Commandments and you'll realize this is probably not the way to go. But that's really what the judges have been about. Everyone's, almost everything that they've done, It's like don't everyone's do it. doing what's right in their own eyes. Yeah, almost. Almost. So he confesses. Mom says, I'm going to give this to the Lord. Mom then gives none of it to the Lord. <laughs> she uses 200. <laughs> she uses 200. I never realized that. Yeah, she never actually gives any of it to the Lord. Then she uses 200 of it to build an idol. We have no clue where the other 900 pieces of silver go. Like in she her uses, pocket. And 200 of it would have been like five pounds worth. So if this if if all that five pounds is made into the idol, it is the smallest little trinket you can imagine. If she took it to a silversmith or whatever and they put it on a piece of wood, still it's not going to cover a ton of wood. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we don't really know how big this thing was, but there's no way it's that big. If she would have done the whole 1100, you know, it might have been you know a couple of feet tall, but there's no way. It basically, it's like a like an old uh, GI Joe figure is about the size. That's the biggest possible size it could be. All right, so Micah makes a shrine. Because that's what you do if you're following the Lord. If you have an idol, you've you got to right. have a shrine around it, right? So he makes a shrine, makes a bunch of other little trinkets and idols. Maybe that's where the other $900 or 900 uh, pieces of gold or silver, sorry, silver went. But he then takes one of his sons to become a priest. So obviously Micah's an older individual at this point. That's a piece of the story you need to kind of notice. Like he's got kids of his own. So he could be, you know, as young as early 20s, but he also could be as old as mid-30s. And the fact that he's putting his kid down as a priest would suggest that maybe his kid is in his 20s. So Micah could be as old as, you know, mid-30s to mid-40s. And if you're like, that seems really young. They had kids like 13, 14 years old often. Okay, so he has a kid, puts him in charge. And then in verse 6, we get this. And this is the most duh statement in the whole chapter. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we're like, that's been stated repeatedly. Well, I don't think it's been stated that way, though. Correct. Um, but I would say that's like the thesis statement of this entire book. The whole like it's, book. I mean, we've we've said it over and over again because that is literally what this whole thing has been about. There have been pieces that have said everyone did was right of their own eyes, or there have been statements that have said there was no king. Mm -hmm. It's all crammed together here. And from now until the end of the book, it's going to get repeated a bunch of times. And part of the reason why that's the case I think someone who ever put this together, the final editor of this book, wanted everyone to know this is not how we act, right? So again, just like with Samson last week or any of the people coming forward, there's not a single person in the rest of the story here in the book of Judges that any of us should model our life after. Yeah. They're terrible. So verse seven, uh, this, this, this Levite from Bethlehem, which has so many problems that we'll, we'll get into a little bit in, in the deeper dive. Uh, he's kind of, this Levite's walking around and all of a sudden he pops into the country of Ephraim. And of course he meets up with Micah and Micah says, you know what, hey, do you want to be my priest? And so he ordains the priest because that's not what Micah's allowed to do. And then he, he thinks the Lord's going to prosper me now because I've made a priest of my own. And so whereas Micah should have seen the priest, he should have said, uh, you know, hey priest, do you want to be my priest? The priest should have said, yeah, but it's a skill you can't do, and you can't do it, which is a line from Powerpuff Girls, one of my favorite shows. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, so he had he ordained his son as a priest, and then he's now finding another priest, right? Yes. 
And but Levites were usually the priest yes. people, right? Okay. That's what we're gonna talk about on the deeper dive. Yeah. Love it where you're heading there. So Micah basically doesn't back to the Powerpuff Girls comment, this is why I said it. Yeah, but it's a skill you can't do, Micah. You're not allowed to make your own priesthood. And you can't do this thing. What you can't do. Right. Instead, what Micah does is makes his own priesthood because everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. So that's all of chapter 17 rolled into one spot. And we could have done 17 and 18 in one episode, but we needed to slow this down a little bit because there's so much going on that I wanted to show you some things that are really, really important. Now it's time for the deeper dive. That's good. Well done. The last one was really short because we had so much to cram in. This one just has two big things. So I think we had a little time to do a longer deeper dive. All right, here we go. At part one of the deeper dive, the idea of the priesthood. Okay. There are so many issues with what Micah does here, but you wouldn't know that unless you're a student of the word. Okay. So, if you want to do some of your own homework here, I'm not going to read all these verses because there's a lot of them. But if you wanted to do some of your own homework, go back and start reading through the book of, of Leviticus all the way through Deuteronomy. And if you're like, those are like the worst parts of the Bible. That's why I'm going to pare some of this down for you so you don't have to deal with all of it. However, once you start to get a feel for the whole storyline of, of the Bible itself, when you go back and start reading that other stuff, it's like, wait, this is here for a reason. Or, oh, that's here for a reason. So a couple of things that you probably didn't notice if you read through the first part of the Bible is the Levites don't have a, a land of their own, right? Mm-hmm. So there are 12 tribes of Israel and there are 12 lands all set up throughout the, the country of Israel, but the Levites don't have a plot of land. So you might be going, well, what's going on there? Joseph's two kids, Manasseh and Ephraim, actually get pulled into the 12 tribes, right? So those are both sons of Joseph. So there's no tribe of Joseph that has, its, has a land. There's the tribe of Mm. Manasseh and there's the tribe of Ephraim. So those two tribes have have a a, a plot of land. Joseph doesn't have one. Do you follow? Yes. And then secondly, the Levites have nothing because Mm -hmm. the Levites are the priesthood. They're supposed to be serving the people. So what the priesthood is supposed to do is they have 48 cities all sort of scattered throughout Israel. And there's a number of reasons for that. One of them is that they're the cities of refuge, some of them where... If you've killed someone and you didn't do it on purpose and someone's trying to kill you, you run into the city of refuge and you'll live there till you die and you'll never get killed in the city of refuge. It's one of those. Yeah. It's like kind of like a sanctuary, right? If you've ever seen uh, yeah. the Quasimodo, right? The old Hunchback Notre Dame movie from Disney Channel or the play, you know, if someone runs into the place where they're not supposed to be and they yell sanctuary, but it's a church, then you're saved, yeah. right? Sanctuary cities is mm-hmm. the same type of thing today. So this idea of they, they have all these cities and the, where they, they sort of do the priestly duties as uh, Nacho Libre would say, you know, priestly duties. Uh, the 48 different cities, there's, there's some of them that are cities of refuge. Some of them are just priestly cities, but they don't actually have any inheritance in the land. Everyone's supposed to pay the priesthood to do the priesthood type stuff. So... They're not supposed to be wandering around. So the fact that in chapter 17 of Judges, there's a wandering priest, you might go, okay, that's not supposed to be happening. They're supposed to be living, you know, somewhere else. That's true. But there is a, there's a command given in Deuteronomy 18. And again, I'm not going to read these verses to you, but I, and this is pulled from Dan Block's commentary that I've talked about a few times in this podcast, that the priesthood, 
had certain stipulations for if they're wandering about. And basically, to, to boil it down as easily as I can, when they were wandering about, all they needed to get from somebody to become a priest in that land was they were supposed to get food to take care of themselves. That's it. Hmm. Okay. So let me back up here and show you all the missteps that happened in chapter 17. I There are at least nine of them. You could probably find more. But let me show you how this story descends into madness. And you may not even notice it. You might be reading 17 and be like, well, this seems totally reasonable. Like, this is normal. Yeah, this may be how people are supposed to live. No. All right. So, so first misstep. The son stole mom, stole mom's money and admits to it and gives it back to mom. Step two. Mom declares it to the Lord and gives it back as a carved image, which you're not supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Step three. Mom doesn't even give all of it. She only gives some of it. That's bad. Step four, the son then makes a whole shrine to this idol. That's also bad. Step five, the son sets up his mom's grandson as a priest or his own son. But just think about this has become like a family of stupidity is basically what I'm saying here. Because even the son could have said, you know, dad, I'm not supposed to do this. This is wrong. Yeah, there's so many ways. Yeah, totally. I'll be a priest. But then maybe the priesthood isn't working correctly. Number six, so this Levite is wandering where he shouldn't be. The Levite should only accept food if he's going to become a priest. And, and, as, and when I say become a priest, it means he's already a priest, but he's supposed to just, if he's wandering about, he would stop and do priestly duties in a town, mm-hmm. and then he was supposed to leave. And all you're supposed to do is accept food when that happens, okay? Which is something that if you're familiar with like the Elijah account, later on, there's individuals that try to give Elijah money or Elisha money, and it doesn't quite work their way because they, the Elijah and Elisha know, no, all I'm supposed to accept is enough food to get by. That's all I'm supposed to look for. Uh, but the priest accepts improper funding for the priesthood. That's number seven. Number eight, everyone is content with this whole situation. And then number nine, to like ramp it up to the, to the ultimate, Micah is like, now that I've done this, the Lord is going to prosper me. Like that is not even close to how the priesthood is supposed to work. None of this makes sense. The fact that the, the priest kid is a kid uh, suggests that he's not even old enough to serve as a priest, which would have been the age of 30. So there's just mistake upon mistake upon mistake. And you would never know that reading 17 unless you did a deeper dive. Like you started digging out and finding other stuff and you'd go, oh. So like when I read 17, I go, this makes me just feel gross. Lots of things The whole are thing feels gross. But we probably wouldn't see it that way unless we're really kind of paying attention to the details and kind of pulling from it. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Kind of the bigger part of the deeper dive is what we're going to dive into next. And I told you last week with the Samson thing, pay attention to a couple details. And if you didn't do that because you were, you know, half listening or you're driving in your car and you didn't want to stop and think this through, uh, let's dive into this idea. Okay. So in the beginning of chapter 17, we have an unnamed woman, right? Pretty normal in the Bible. It's normal in the book of Judges specifically. (laughs) It's normal in the whole Bible for sure. But in the book of Judges, there've been a lot of women involved who are unnamed. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this one has a code to it, and we'll talk about that a little bit if we're up for it. So let me just give some theories that I've – there are three big theories that I've read. Uh, Some of them are accepted by scholars. Some of them aren't. But I want to show you the three theories, and I want to give you a fourth one that I've just kind of creatively come up with a solution. But who is this woman that's Micah's mom, right? Micah's mom's got it going on, that old song, remember? Uh, Stacy? I'm aware that it was Stacy's okay. mom, but okay. it's funnier to say Micah's mom. I mean, it's applicable to and the And all of our young so. adults are like, well, I don't even know that song. Yeah, I'm Google aware. it. Google it. Oh, actually, it's not really that great of a song, so don't, don't, uh, don't Google it. All right, so some theories. Here's four different theories that I can give you about who this woman is. 
first off, she's an unnamed woman who doesn't factor into the narrative at all, but she's super rich. Anybody who has 1,100 pieces of silver laying around is uber rich. It may not feel like you're uber rich, but to give you kind of an idea here, uh, you know, Abraham buys a plot of land for his wife to be buried, and it's like 400 pieces of silver. So she's got 1,100 just laying around. Mm-hmm. So that she's, can steal. she's filthy, stinking rich. That's an interesting detail uh, that she's super, super wealthy. So some have said she's just an unnamed woman. She doesn't appear. She, no, she's not important to the narrative, so they didn't give her, her, her a name. But she's super wealthy, and that's, that's okay. But you don't get wealthy in ancient Israel. Yeah. It's just not a natural thing. So so I, I have some issues with number one, but we'll get to it in number when I get to number three, I'll kind of show that. The second thing that I've read, and this is an interesting take on it, and I again I don't know how I feel about it, but it's just like the most people have pointed this out. This the tribe of Ephraim has had some serious issues in the book of Judges, right? They've caused civil wars, they keep going out and yelling at people and they multiple whine. multiple judges have had to fight with them or fought with you know, mm-hmm. or brought them to fight with. Uh so there's a lot of negativity going on. Some have said that maybe the reason why there's a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name is Micah, and he said it was mom, this thing, that she's not named because they live in the hill country of Ephraim, and it's just supposed to say, see, Ephraim is so messed up that even the moms are like letting their kids run rampant and do crazy things. But they're getting wealthy for some whatever reason, and in the midst of them getting wealthy, they're still not taking care of their wealth well. It's a possibility. I mean, Ephraim looking as bad as they do like you could make the case here that she is just following in the narrative. She's just as bad as everybody else. And the tribe of Ephraim in this account tears down the Levites, begins to tear down the Judah Heights, right? Because that's where the Levi's from. He's from Judah mm-hmm. in the land of Bethlehem area. So you could start going, okay, this is this whole thing. And then you could start looking at the book of Judges and go, maybe, maybe, just maybe the book of Judges was written to sort of like make David look good. Right. There's no king in those days. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Some have said that the book of Judges probably was put together around the time of David to sort of say, see, David's following the Lord and doing mm-hmm. what's right. So the book of Judges sort of says, and this is how it used to be. Look, at, look back in the olden days and it was really messed up. The problem is David's from Bethlehem. And in chapter 17 and on, Bethlehem doesn't look good in the rest yeah. of this. So if you were going to say maybe this is an anti, maybe this is a pro-David thing, anti-Saul thing. I don't think you can make a good case for that, especially with where the Benjamites are going to go in chapters 19 through 21. We're going to get to that. So the Benjamites, the Judahites, everyone looks bad. Ephraimites look bad. You know, like everybody in this looks really, really bad. Dan, we're going to deal with next week. They look super bad. Not like the movie. So there, there's this thing going on here that you could make the case that she's just in here to make Ephraim look really bad. And they drag down the Levites. They drag down the Judahites and so on and so forth. Maybe. You also could say maybe this is the beginning of what would be called a Saulite polemic, which means they're pushing back against Saul. They don't want Saul to look good. So they're going to show why Saul's a bad choice Mm. versus David. But again, I I think all of that's weak. I think whenever this book was compiled, it was probably way later in the Kings. And it might have even been a sort of like a jokey compliment sort of thing. Like in those days, there was no King. So everyone was right in their own eyes. I don't know if you paid attention when we get to the Kings, but... They're all trash. Yeah, only, there's only like a few good ones in either. Judah, and there's there's only a couple of good ones in Israel. Everybody's bad. I mean, and even the even the good ones have elements that are just not good. So you might go, all right, this is a pro king thing. I don't think it is at all. There's no way that judges really truly builds a, a pro king approach. So it might also be that people are just like mocking the kingship, saying even they aren't following the Lord, and the the ultimate 
clue there might be, there was no king, meaning we're not following the Lord. There's no, yeah, God's not their king. The Lord yeah. is not who we need to, like, he should be who's leading us, but he's not. And you would think that whoever's compiling scripture would probably be in the priestly guild, right? You know, the the scribes mm-hmm. and the the people who are like putting the final touches They've on all this. they got lots of time. Pulling it all together. Well, they not just have a lot of time, but they're also <laughs> deeply committed to the, the word of yes. God being the word of God. So there's a really good chance they're looking back at this and saying, I want you to notice there's no king in that day, meaning no one's following the Lord. So it might have nothing to do with the kingship, quote unquote, might have way more to do with, are you following Yahweh or not? And the fact that this woman doesn't might be why she's in this. Okay. That's the totally legit. Here's, here's what I think is the strongest case for who this woman is. You ready? I am. I think she's Delilah. Interesting. Now I said last time, we, we are usually under the impression that Delilah is a Philistine, but there's actually nothing in the narrative that says she is definitely a Philistine. She has a connection with the Philistines. They come and ask her to give them Samson's clue, right? Mm-hmm. But it just means that she has a connection to the Philistines. It doesn't mean that she actually is one. So you might go, whoa, 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 Chris, but there's a lot of things in the story. Like in chapter 16, it said, you know, Samson went to sleep with a prostitute in Gaza and then he steals the gate in the middle of the night. And then the next verse says, and then sometime later he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. You could make the connection between the two. And that's where most scholars go. That's why. That she's the prostitute. And that's why her being unnamed doesn't matter here. That's why most scholars would don't even like go with the, the Delilah possibility because they're like, well, no, this is just some random woman. It doesn't matter. I, I completely disagree for a number of reasons, but here's one of them. The Valley of Sorek, where Delilah's from in chapter 16, stretches from part of Ephraim all the way down into, into the Philistine territory. So they might've traded with the Philistines, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So Delilah might have a relationship with Philistines, even though she's not a Philistine. We don't have any clue whether she is an Israelite or not. And it never says so in the text. So let's just run down this road for a little bit. Let's say she's from the Valley of Sorek, which is Ephraim territory. So then you turn the page and it says, in the land of Ephraim was a man named Micah. Mm-hmm. And he says to his mom, I, you know, that 1,100 pieces of gold that was stolen from you, I'm the one that took it. Why in the world was 1,100 pieces of silver matter unless you go back to chapter 16 and the, the five kings of the Philistines say, we're each going to give you 1,100 pieces of gold or silver mm-hmm. if you tell us what Samson's thing is. I, there's got to be a connection there. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it, it could be that Delilah has multiple bags of, of silver laying around the house and one of them goes missing and she freaks out a little bit. It also could be that she, since she's wealthy, she lives in a nice house because she used one of the bags for that. She started a trade for herself. That's another of the bag. You know, like mm-hmm. all that's left is this one bag perhaps and it goes missing and she's like, where did it go? And then her son's like, well, the curse that you uttered, you know, it was me. I'm the one that took it. And she's like, oh, bless you, son. Mm-hmm. And you might think, well, that's ridiculous. But Delilah doesn't really know who the Lord is. Even if she's an Ephraimite, She's not really following the Lord in the earlier story. She's sleeping with a guy that she's not supposed to be sleeping with, yeah. right? Samson and her aren't supposed to be together, and yet she has no problems with it. And plus, if her her like manly man of her life who's teaching her how to follow God is Samson, yeah, don't think some serious issues, right? Don't think it's gonna be helpful. So all of these details, I think, are interesting. That there's possibly some connections with Philistia due to her proximity. The eleven hundred pieces of silver. I don't think it's accidental. So if all of that is true. This is one of the multiple scholarly theories that's out there is that Micah is actually the child of Samson. She's the, he's the offspring of Delilah and Samson's relationship. And so she thinks so highly of him that you go down the road here and you're like, oh, this story is messed up. And now it turns into sort of a Gideon thing 
right? Because Gideon's son built an ephod, built an idol, like all of these things start to tie together. And you're like, oh, the kids of the judges are not good people, right? I think that's the strongest case you can make in chapter 17. I think it's Delilah. I'm just... There's no reason why those those numbers are are thrown out there unless the the author is going. I really want you to pay attention to this. And so, what does what does Delilah's name mean? Uh, she wanders the night, or she she's involved with night. It also mm-hmm. could mean that she you know she tripped someone up, or she seduced someone. It's a, it's a which tricky is, name, which is really what she did. And going back to our, what we talked about last week on the episode, names matter, even to the point that. Some some scholars have wondered whether these are the real names of people mm. or whether there are like cheeky renamings of people to make you go, oh, this is a bad person. Mm-hmm. And we would never pick that up. Because we don't really think of names. Right. And like Jacob being clinger of the heel, you know, they might have just been like, hey, his real name was Israel. But let's throw Jacob in here just to show you that you know his character trait before he even gets started. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe that was his nickname because he was clinging to his brother's heel, but he didn't get named until later and became his, you know, like back to the name thing that I talked about last week. Names are so important in ancient culture that you didn't let the name be known because it was so important for other people to know who you were and what you weren't. So Delilah might actually not have been her name. It might've been just like a, a reference to her character, who she really is. And maybe she had a totally different name. Who knows? I don't know how far to go down that road. I don't really go down that road. I just call them by the names that scripture gives us. But you can imagine, like, if someone were telling a story about me way later on, they don't need to use the name Chris to tell the same story and still be about the same person. You know, if they wanted to put, yeah. like, egg-headed moron who, you know, okay. does all these, you know what I'm saying? We just got serious. James is nodding his head because he agrees. So whatever, you know, whatever they want to call me way later on, you know, Bible nerd freak, they could certainly put that in the title for me and just make fun of me, and I wouldn't care. I feel like we think very poorly of ourselves. <laughs> uh, that's because I'm a number one. I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm just joking. I don't know what that means. And then the last possibility, and this, like I said, this is a very creative solution that I've thought through, and I just want people to like go, okay, maybe. If it's not Delilah, think about it this way. Maybe she's the daughter of Delilah. Let's say that Delilah goes on to have five kids later on in life, and she gives each one of those kids a sack full of 1,100 pieces of silver. A money bag. Yep. And now we don't know how many years have passed since Samson, right? But we know Mike is old enough to have his own kid. So Mike has got to be mid-30s, maybe older. So this could be 50 years Mm -hmm. later. could be 100 years later. We don't know. So it's possible, too, that the family line has just kind of kept this money. And the reason why she's unnamed is because she's in the family, right? But there's no connection. The only issue with all of this is is the fact that Samson is, is a Danite, so I don't know that they'd be living in Ephraim country unless she definitely is an Ephraimite. Mm-hmm. And she, because Samson's dead, she's like, I'm not going to live there anymore. I'm going to go, you know. Back to my home. Yep. I'm going to live where I'm supposed to live. Mm-hmm. So I, I know there's, there's, there's theories that are problematic with the whole thing. I know that it doesn't really matter who the woman is. She's got problems. Her son has problems. Uh, but I just think it's an interesting possibility that we should pr- ponder and go, this is why the Bible was written so well. It gives us a chance to stop and just think these things and maybe go, hmm. But I'm, I'm convinced based on what I'm seeing that this is, this is Delilah. All right? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. All right, so... 
you're probably thinking, how do we get practical with this interesting story? Well, I think the first thing is let's just like not steal things. Sound like a plan? Yes. Usually does not go well for us. It actually kind of did go well for Micah, which is maybe not um, a good moral, you know, lesson. Because she ends up giving him some of it and making this little figurine and whatever and end up blessing him, which I just don't understand. But as we said, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. Yeah, and maybe she doesn't want to. Maybe she knows that Mike is a hothead and she's like, oh, I'm not going like, to let him get mad. Anyways, that's more for the Enneagram. So, but let's just not steal things. Usually any decisions we're going to make after that are probably not going to be good decisions. I concur. As you can see in this story, <laughs> most of the choices he makes are, I shouldn't say most, all of the choices that he makes are not very wise. So starting out by stealing, yeah, you're probably not going to be making very good choices beyond that. So how about let's just try not to steal. No, let's not try. Don't steal. And then you don't have to worry about some of those decisions that you might have to make after that. I agree. Even though I don't really struggle with that. So <laughs> whatever. So... Next thing, um, you know, let's just, yeah, like, let's stop um, doing what's right in our own eyes. <laughs> Can we just do what the Lord wants us to do and be done? Sounds like a great theory. I mean, it says that they didn't have a king. I believe that even, I mean, you see throughout, even when they do have an actual king, they still don't make good choices. Mm -hmm. They still are, in, in essence, doing what's right in their own eyes. So as you talked about before, I really believe this is that they didn't have a king in their mind of God being their king and following him, they were just doing whatever they wanted to do. Right. So then it looks cray cray and it's about to get even worse as we get on. So can we just, can we just follow what God wants us to do? Because truly we will have far less issue that we are creating ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still going to be stuff that's going to happen to you that you cannot control and cannot help. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not with God and that you're not following him. But if I can limit the amount of struggle that I have in my life because of the things I create myself, why not? And anything that God is asking us to do limits that. And I think practically speaking there, the reason why we struggle following God is we don't trust who he is, right? Very true. I mean, if you believe that God is the giver of life and the giver of good things, then you'll take what he says and you'll believe it and walk with it. Most of us have to start with the issue of we don't like God our image of God in our head, we don't like that, so we don't want to follow that God because he's evil or he's mean or he's judgmental or whatever. But if we're going to stop and really think about what the scriptures are saying, this guy, he's the giver of life and the giver of good things. So when he says, don't do this, as we talked about weeks ago with holiness and this whole idea, he's saying it because he loves us and he wants us to ultimately be like him. But if we don't take him at his word and we do our own thing, we're never going to become like him. Mm-mm. Yeah, and usually when we start to, it's usually when like circumstances are wrong is when we start to doubt or we start to question, which isn't necessarily always a bad thing. But um, I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about um, something that they had heard from Sissy Goff, who is Bob Goff's daughter. And she she's a, a therapist that mainly works with children. And she was talking about how worry basically like gives you amnesia and she was, I mean, they went into like the blood moves and whatever in your brain, but 
It really does. Like you forget everything. You hmm. forget that God is good because you automatically don't remember all hmm. of those things. Um, and so that's why it could be good to have a journal and write those things down so you can go back and see everything that God has done because he has. Even without you even noticing, he has walked you through today. The fact that you drove somewhere, only if necessary, <laughs> and you didn't get in a car accident, like that's provident. You know, like, right. And not like, yeah. So just to be mindful and remembering just because something bad is happening does not mean that God's not with you or that does not mean any of those things that we like to say, like, oh, God hates me or I must have done something wrong to bring this upon. Sometimes that could be true, but also we live in a fallen world and things are going to happen. And so, yeah, what are you going to – you going to cower every time or are you going to stand strong because you've got a God that is good and just? Totally. Anything else for Let's Get Practical? Um, I'm learning that I don't need to name my kid Micah. <laughs> it's a real shame. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a pretty name. Nechaihu. Not that. Nechaiho means... Hi-ho! Yeah, it means who is <laughs> like... ho I think that's it what it was. who is like our God. And it, which is supposed that to be... That does a, sound pretty. It's supposed to be a statement of... You know, you say, who is like our God? And everyone's supposed to respond, no one is like our God. He is the only God like this. Part of the reason why I think Micah is the name of this individual Mm -hmm. is because it shows us the sheer ignorance and stupidity of judges. You know, this idea of who's like our God? No one's like our God. Well, then follow him. Quit making stupid idols. Yes, I'm doing weird things. So if you were to say Micah and then somebody else said no one, would that make would that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I like it. Sort of. I'm going I'm mean, to remember that. We probably wouldn't do that in English cuz it would make no sense. No, they and they I don't think they would appreciate it. But like the prophet Micah but I or think it's great. Micaiah, who's uh, someone in 2nd Kings. I just love doing that. He, you know, these are all individuals who really do live they do like better God. things than this This one. version of Micah, this this particular individual in Judges is pretty much a train wreck. But we always have one of those, right? Like with your with names. Totally. You're like, I will never name my kid that because I remember that person. Right. There's always one that ruins the name. Right. And this Micah is the one who did it for us. messed up. Mm-hmm. It's messed up. It is. So I think it's uh, time... Time to do the Enneagram thing. It is time to do the Enneagram thing. I don't, I don't have a song this time. I was going to say, you didn't have a nice intro this time. I was wondering what was going on. There's one coming up, but not, okay. this, not this one. So we're really just going to talk about Micah this time. We're going to talk about the Levite next time because we get a little bit more interaction with him, with the Danites. So, so Micah, as we've talked about, he's a stellar individual. That is my role model, and I am going to mirror my life after him. All jokes, I will not be doing any of those things. But he takes his mom's money, and then she blesses him, which maybe he is a very hostile person. And so she's like, I got to do this so that he doesn't kill me in the night. Especially if you're Samson's kid. And kill me in the night. (gasps) Doing things in the night. That's what she's about. Anyways, do you see it all ties together? That's not biblical at all. (laughs) I really do think it all ties together. I think that's part of Emmy. Keep going. (laughs) So anyways... Um, I think that Micah can be potentially a manipulator. You see that kind of with the Levite. You see that kind Mm -hmm. of with maybe with his mom. 
that he is able to twist things and get things to be done that he wants to be done. Um, he he can't necessarily manipulate the the Danites in our next one as much as he probably would have liked, but he still is able to get people to do what he wants them to do. I almost feel like him giving the money back was almost like he was almost doing it manipulatively. Is that even a word? Sure. You know, um, where he's like, I'm going to give this back to you so that it looks like I'm so remorseful and I'm so sorry that I did this. But then you're going to give it right back to me because that's what's going to be wise. Like the people who are quickest to raise their hands during worship always make me a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're one of those. Wait until the second chorus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Chris just took a drink. <laughs> I almost choked. He may have. So I, I kind of think that he might be an eight. And eights are strong personalities mm. that are extremely passionate and motivated and will do what they need to do to get their job done. So you really do want eights in your life because mm-hmm. they get the job done. When they are unhealthy, they end up being very polarizing and they can, they can manipulate to get things done and to get their, get get their, their job done. I also think that, yeah, basically the Levite being like, don't tell me. I mean, the Levite saying, you're not really probably supposed to be doing this. And he's like, basically like, don't tell me I can't. Like, that's a very eight thing, very, uh, far more rebellious Obviously, a different type of an eight than Samson was, but still, you can kind of still see both of them. They both have passions that are that they want to see happen, and they will make it happen, no matter the cost. So, I think, yeah, I think he does what needs to be done to get his needs met. So, I think he's an eight. I don't have any... Appreciate. I have no idea. So I'll say yes. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, I do really enjoy doing this part. I, I love your passion for the Enneagram. It really makes uh, this part of the podcast fun, but I still have no idea what you're talking about. That's all right. I mean, I really do enjoy this because I like dissecting people and their behaviors and being right. like, hmm, what are they like? I'm aware of that. Yeah. You've done that for decades. <laughs> when I met Erica, she was in probably high school, right? I was in high school. I don't think I met you in middle school. No, I was in high school. And yeah, she's always been curious about other people and like figuring out why they tick and why they yep. do this. And there were even conversations I remember when you were in high school of you coming to me like, why is this person doing this? And like, people are dumb and they're complicated. So there's... I don't, and you're in high school. I don't know that there's <laughs> so an, I think that's yeah, a lot I don't of think there's too. an answer. People are just... That's just how people are. And you're like, I want to figure it out, which is why you got the degree that you did. So... Yeah. And I'm... My teaching degree, that's what you mean? Well, I mean, the, I mean the masters, masters of like okay. b- basically tying psychology yes. and theology and like biblical ministry yes. in the midst of it all. And I, I would say the Enneagram has, yeah, it's really helped me not take, I mean, I was already on a trajectory of not taking things as personally and not being a victim and whatnot, but it's really helped me to understand more of people and what mm. they do and potentially why they're doing it. And yeah. So it's it's a, I think it's allowed me to help give grace more too, which has been really helpful because I, as I talked about being a more of like an introvert, I do enjoy being with people more so small groups and like one on one stuff, right. and so yeah, being able to help people understand and whatnot. So 
Yeah, I just and being a true it. introvert doesn't mean you hate no. hate people and want nothing to do with people. It just means no. you don't recharge from people. Yeah, which is very true. You recharge alone, and I recharge both ways. I recharge when I'm all Best alone. Of both worlds. Yeah, I recharge when I'm all alone. I recharge when I'm with people, and then I just my battery runs out, and then I go to sleep, and then I wake up the next day, and I just kind of do the whole thing all over again. So, I, I truly am down the middle of the the two spectrums. So, whatever for whatever that's worth. But you being an introvert, my wife being an introvert, I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even times where I come home and I can tell she doesn't even want to be like. She's like, I'm not ready. Around yet. me. Which is so me. Yeah. And I don't mean it in a sense of she's like distant or anything, but, you know. She needs time. Yeah. So uh, there were multiple times when we had little, little kids where she had been home with them all day. I was dealing with church stuff and I'd get home and she'd be like holding her keys and she's like, I'm going to Target. And she just like. Well, yes. And I was like. It's the trade off. Go do your thing. Yeah. Babe. Like get out of the house. Go recharge by yourself walking the aisles. And she's super thrifty. So she's never buying anything. She just. Needed, needs to needed to get alone. Be in the real go world. Go somewhere where no one cares who she is and just kind of wander. And I love that about her. Very mm-hmm. cool. All right. I think we're on to the yam spot. We are. So Me- we are definitely in different times. So yeah. connecting is going to require something different from us. Yeah. There's a couple of things that we wanted to talk about with this one. First off, if you're, if you're working with college students specifically, more than young adults, because typically young adults have committed themselves to your area, Right. You yes. Know, if you're yeah. like an early 20s and you're out of college, you probably have moved to the location that you're at because parents. You're, you're starting your career or you're with your parents you or whatever. So there's a chance that you're going to be there for a number of years just to sort of get your feet under you kind of thing. But you're looking for a place to connect. So college ministry, you know, you're not looking for like a college ministry. You're looking for just a, a church that you can sort of connect to. So maybe a small group kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're working with college students, they're transient. You're only going to get them for a couple of years, and they're gone usually over Christmas break. They're usually gone over spring break, right? They're gone all summer. So one of the things that you need to do is you need to be creative about your solutions of dealing with transient people. Like you need to understand that you're going to need to stay connected to them throughout the whole summer. Like you might want to keep them accountable over a spring break trip. You know what I'm saying? You might want to just text them over Christmas break and be like, hey, how's it going? How can I pray for you? That kind of thing. Really simple things. Uh, I try to do this with some of our college students. you know, they're at college now and, you know, I'll shoot them a little text here and there just saying, hey, thinking about you, what can I be praying about, that kind of stuff. Just stay connected to them. You know, if you're a college pastor and they're with you for those, you know, better for worse for like that eight month period and then they're gone, spend a lot of time connecting with them in that way. But right now it's incredibly important because they probably went home. Yeah, they're not even around anymore. Right, their schools have all been closed. Everything around the United States of America now and we're, we're recording this in April of 2020 there's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Everyone has been forced to go home. Some of them are stuck in the country trying to live in a, you know, a dorm by themselves kind of thing. And that's actually happening in some co- colleges in the, in the area. So you got to find creative solutions to meet with them. And what I would do if you haven't, you know, there's tons of available things out there. If you've got FaceTime, you can FaceTime them. And it's important not just to do a phone call, but to see their face. Yeah. You, you would agree. I mean, even you said it a little bit ago, like you you struggle sometimes with the connection point over the internet. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as in person, but you know that it has to be done. So go ahead and do it. Yeah. I mean, the parts that are hard for me is it's not natural. Like it's not just like fluid and everybody's right. bouncing off of each other because you can't hear what Sally's saying because Brian's also talking and Jimmy over there is talking too. So like that's the only part that can be really hard is 
Yeah, if if people are trying to interject all at the same time, you cannot hear what they're saying. And that's the only thing that's yeah, that's hard is you're kinda like, Can I can I can I go now? Can I oh no, oh no I can't oh no I can't you know, that's right. the only part that And that's true can for FaceTime, that's true yeah. for Messenger, that's true for Zoom, that's true for GoToMeeting. I mean, there's not a single platform that exists that multiple people may not try to talk over each other. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a small group right now and you're trying to keep five to seven people connected through one of those apps, it's super difficult. So you might want to figure out a way to, you know, let mute let there people. be a certain time frame, yeah. right? Or mute everybody most of the time and tell them that they want to jump in to unmute themselves so that you kind of see when they're going to do that. Uh, but be creative. Find ways to connect, not just over voice apps. You live in 2020. You've got access to dozens of video apps that you can talk to people face-to-face, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could even... If they still do live local and you you just can't see them, obviously, I mean, send something, like drop something off at their house, totally. you know, um, send cards, Which, postal service is still going. So Right. And that was the last, the last piece of being creative that I wanted to say. There's a lot of studies been done since this whole COVID thing has started and 20 year olds love getting mail, like legit handwritten cards, 20 to early thirties. There's something special about it, right? I love it. I mean, I don't love like when I get a birthday card, but if I get a, a, a note from somebody in the mail, mm-hmm. just say, hey, I was thinking about you, praying for you. Here's some things that, you know, I'm learning in my Bible study or whatever. Man, that just means so much. Like that, I actually love those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's weird. You wouldn't think that because we live in a texting culture, right? Everything's got to be chop, 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 super fast. But there's something lasting and sort of, you know. Well, it takes so much more time and you know that. You yeah. know that. It's not just, I mean, getting a text and somebody saying that still means a lot. Don't get me wrong. But when you get it in the mail, you know that, like, they had to sit down. They had to find a card. They had to sit down and actually have time right. to handwrite this thing. They had to make sure they had postage, you know, take it out to the mailbox. Like, that's a lot more effort than just picking up the phone. Right. And, and, it, and it. it had to be touched by multiple people so COVID could get passed around the country. I mean, it's Sanitized. legit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you receive the piece of mail, you know, take it out of the mailbox, wash your hands, sanitize. Throw it in the dryer. And then (laughs) I'm just kidding. I have no idea if that does anything. But in all honesty, what that means is if you're a college pastor or a young adult minister, you need to know their address. You need to know how to connect with them. So it's going to take a little bit of work on your end, but you've got to connect with people. We've moved our Bible study that we were going through judges together. We've moved it to online. You know, we've connected a couple of times already. I think our group is still trying to figure out exactly how that works. It's not as fun as when we're in person, but it is what it is. And so we're going to utilize whatever tools we have available to us. Uh, and that's kind of how we're working things. And you kind of have to be okay with not everybody coming. Yep. And you've got to be okay with numbers being down. And some people just aren't going to do it. And that just needs to be okay. So... That, I mean, that's something that I struggle with, too, is I'm like, oh, but but they're not responding and they're not texting back. And it's like, but I did my part in a lot of ways. That sounds kind of like I'm, you know, not giving responsibility to myself, but I can't force them to respond. I can't force them to want to engage, you know. So right. just kind of letting it be okay with those that have come, come. And, yeah, letting it go and those that don't, don't. So. And the last thought on that, it, it you just sparked it for me. I've been doing this a, a long time, doing ministry, and so old. I'm very, very old. <sighs> the The amount of times that I didn't think I was making an impact, 
that years later, all of a sudden someone comes back to me and goes, okay, I didn't respond to any of your texts or any of your phone calls or any of your messages, but they mean this to me. Thank you. And uh, I'm ready to follow Jesus now. You know, like one of our former interns who became a youth pastor here for a while, when he came, he came to the Lord or back to the Lord, however you want to look at that, merely because our lead pastor had sent him a couple of texts. This individual never responded, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden he, his life didn't quite go the way he thought it was going to go, came back and, and contacted our lead pastor and said, Hey, give me a lunch. And then he's basically like, Hey, you've been reaching out. I've never, you know, really touched base with you back, but here's what God's doing in my heart. I'd love to connect. And you don't know what impact it's going to make, but it's worth the effort. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I totally agree with you. Some people aren't going to do it, but it doesn't mean, even if they're not doing it, it doesn't mean don't connect with them because yes. they might still, there's an impact that might come later on that you just have no idea about. Yeah. Keep connecting. All right. All right. I think that's it. Thanks guys. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. I'm waiting for the outro. Sanitize. It's not coming. What outro are you talking about? You know how he puts that on the end? I'm waiting to hear it. Oh, yeah, that doesn't...